Hello, and welcome to this episode of Corners of the World, which is all about football in Belgium. Belgium has produced some of this generation's biggest stars, including Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku, and Divock, corner taken quickly, Origi. They have helped Belgium to their best ever finish at a World Cup, coming third in 2018, and in September 2018 became ranked as the best team in the world. However, despite their best efforts, they haven't converted this talent into trophies yet. Domestically, the league is ambitious. It sees itself at the same level as the neighbouring Eredivisie in the Netherlands, and with news of a television deal in the United States, its profile is about to be given a significant boost. Joining me to discuss football in Belgium was Scott Coyne, a presenter of the Belgium Football Podcast, the number one English-language podcast dedicated to covering all aspects of Belgium football. In this interview, we covered the rivalries in Belgium, home and abroad, its status as an entry league in Europe, and its football identity. But first, I asked Scott about the nation's status as the number one men's international team and its current lack of silverware. Well, I think I think for a for a number of years now the the squad has been extremely strong and it's been one of those kind of slow steady progresses over a period of time for the Belgian national team. I think it is, you know, mainstream media refers to it as a kind of golden generation when countries have these these phases. The challenge obviously as you're alluding to is is winning something and and we'll see if they can do that. They, they'll have the opportunity, good opportunity to win the Nations League perhaps and they're going to be probably one of the three or four favourites um, for for the Euros after finishing third at the last World Cup. So we just need to see really how they get on. The football world knows well that um, Belgium's neighbours, uh, the, the Netherlands, for generations had absolutely excellent sides and um, probably should have won more than they did and, and never really managed to win anything. So um, we just need to see what happens, really. But fingers crossed they can do something because this this squad of players and, and this generation you know, really does deserve to do that. I think we just need to make it happen now. Is there an expectation that they will win something this year, whether it's the Euros or the Nations League? I think Belgian football fans generally are quite relaxed about this. I don't think they really expect them um, to, to win anything. There isn't a, a great deal of national pressure in that sense. I think they've probably mentally prepared themselves for for, for not doing that, which is probably a wise thing. Um, so if they do win either the Nations League or, or, or the Euros, then it will be you know a really pleasant surprise for them. Um, I think they tend to kind of temper their, their expectations, which is which is wise. Yeah, and you've mentioned the Netherlands had similar characteristics to this Belgian generation. And I imagine if they get to the later stages of these tournaments, they might meet the Netherlands. Are matches with the Dutch usually hotter than others? Yeah, they they are a bit spicy. Traditionally, they're they're rivals both in a, a footballing sense, but also in a in a wider kind of cultural sense as well. Belgium has historically always really been in the shadow of of, of the Netherlands. Um, for for various reasons, I mean, we could probably do a, a separate podcast on that alone. But certainly in football, in terms as well, I think the the Dutch league is seen as being better than the Belgian league, even though. It, in itself, that the Dutch league isn't considered one of the top five in, in Europe either, but it's still considered better than the Belgian league, which I think is is unfair, as do lots of other people who kind of know their football. But there's a there's a quite an intense, healthy rivalry there between the two countries, both in a sporting sense, but also sort of culturally and historically for various reasons as well, because Dutch is the predominant language. 
um, spoken in, in in most of Belgium as well. But I think the um, I think the rivalry with it with the Dutch um, is is something that probably only local people can really kind of get their head around. And I suppose I can best characterise that by saying there's there's not a great deal of love lost, you know, in a cultural sense be, between the two countries. It's it's the sort of rivalry that you describe as healthy. It's not. It's not unpleasant, but you know, Belgian sports fans like to get one over Dutch sports fans, and I can understand that. Yeah, and on that, do you think that football helps to act as almost a universal language in Belgium because it doesn't officially have a national language? It's split between the Dutch and French side of things. So is football a uniting force? I think it can be. Um, I think it's quite complex in Belgium's case because Belgium's split into various regions. Um, there is the, the Flanders region, which encompasses most of the country, uh, which is generally the west of the country, although Flanders itself is broken into West and East Flanders, and that's where most of the teams are based. The eastern part of the country has two two major teams, top flight teams, um, who don't speak Dutch um, as, a, as their main language. They'll speak French, and that is Charlois and Standard Liège, and they're part of a region called uh, Wallonia, the, the, the Walloon clubs, um, where French culture is slightly more dominant. Um, and then there's an area uh, quite close to the German border, a small area around the, the city of Eupen, in which German is is the main language, and again, that's a historical, a cultural thing where where Belgium historically has always had um, a strong multicultural element to it, and there've been a number of different communities, different languages. Like any supporters anywhere else in the world, you know, there's a lot of noise and colour in Belgian football. You know, it's not uncommon to see TFOs as 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 around the rest of the world. A lot of Belgian top flight Belgian clubs have have links um, to English clubs and British football more generally, and that's more because historically um, football came from the UK, really. Belgium's oldest club, Antwerp, were formed in 1880. Antwerp were actually formed by effectively a group of Englishmen who came over to Belgium uh, playing cricket. Started off as a cricket club and then introduced football to the mix because they'd been playing it in kind of public schools in England and it took off very, very quickly. And association football, the Belgian Football Association was, was set up in 1895 and um, it was really through those links that kind of that developed. So there's quite quite a rich history and a, and, and a close link there. And Antwerp particularly a really good example of a club who have a, a, an element of kind of British footballing identity to them. And they sing a lot of their, their fan songs in English um, for that reason. It's a historical and a cultural thing. Again, it's kind of been handed down to them rather than a choice of, you know, we're going to sing this in English rather than rather than in Dutch. So you've talked about Antwerp fans. Um, which other clubs do you think have got probably the best fan bases in the Belgian Pro League? Well, Standard Liège um, are one of what are considered kind of traditionally the big five clubs in Belgium. Um, so you have Anderlecht, who most people will have heard of because they're the most successful club side in, in Belgium. Um, and then you have uh, Club Bruges, the second most successful side, uh, Standard Liège, um, and then the other two that make up the big five are Ghent and Genk, who sometimes people get mixed up because their names are so close together. But um, they're, they're quite different as, as clubs. 
um, and in their feel. Standard Leisure are famous for having kind of quite vociferous fans. Uh, they have a very left-wing fan base as a club. Um, they have a very large and active group of ultras. So Standard have a bit of a reputation for um, yeah being being kind of quite passionate. Um, so it's worth it's worth highlighting them. I think. Yeah, and are most of the club rivalries between these big clubs or are there smaller regional type rivalries as well? Well, there's a bit of both. Um, so it's kind of quite complex, but there's a, there's a long-standing rivalry between Anderlecht and Club Bruges, the two most successful sides. Um, and that's for that reason alone, because they've won between them, combined kind of the most league titles, then historically they're, they're, they're considered the two biggest clubs, I suppose, or the two most successful Although when you look a little bit beyond that, that's not always the case. So when they play, um, some people refer to that that as as the hate game, and the, the, you know there's quite an intense rivalry, certainly between the supporters. Anyway, there is there is a rivalry uh, between Standard Liège and Charleroi, who I mentioned earlier as well, because regionally the Walloon clubs, Wallonia, both speaking French, so they have a they have a healthy rivalry, and what separates Charleroi and standard is that um, Charleroi traditionally have a, well, what, what most people would think of is, is a slightly right-wing fan base in terms of how they see the world and their politics and how they express themselves. And obviously, as I was saying, standard are very left-wing, so there's naturally a clash there that, that can get quite um, passionate at times. But then there are some, perhaps not smaller, but um, less intense uh, regional rivalries. So, for example, there's an area called Limburg, which is a province in Belgium. And within Lindbergh, there are three clubs, two in the top flight, um, and that is St. Truden and Genk. Um, and that's considered a, a, a regional derby. And then in the division below the top flight, there's another Lindbergh-based club called Lommel, um, who are kind of hoping to, to, to win promotion back to the top flight at the moment. Yeah, and the Belgian top flight is called the First Division A, and the next one is called First Division B. Is there a reason why they're both called the First Division? Well, it's slightly confusing, and, and Belgian football historically is, is a little bit convoluted in that sense. It's not necessarily that clear if, if you don't really follow it. It's just the way they've chosen to name it, really. Um, the way promotion works in Belgian football is a little bit complicated as well. The top flight, most people refer to it as the Pro League, but both 1A and 1B are the Pro League. So 1A obviously is the, is the top flight and 1B is the, the division below and is, is about half the size of the top flight as well. Um, it's, not, it's not nearly as big, but there are plans to, to actually make the 1B larger. Um, and there is the possibility that uh, there might be five or six development teams joining the lower division in order to increase the size and competition there. So that would mean, for example, the traditional big five that I alluded to, their, um, their development squads, for example, could well in the next few years have a place in 1B um, in order to increase the competition and, and, and size of, of that division, all under the proviso, of course, that they could then win promotion under any circumstances to the top flight. Has the league been able to adjust well as a result of the events of the last year, do you think, or has it been a bit of a struggle? I think like most countries, it's hit them kind of pretty hard. I think the clubs initially, it's a financial thing, isn't it? 
Um, there's there's loss of match day revenue and and gate receipts as well. The Belgian the Belgian FA and the Pro League have worked quite hard to try and keep fans on board. And for for a long period of time, there was a reduced number of fans still able to get into games. But um, a few months ago, that had to stop for a second time um, and hasn't been able to restart again. There are ongoing discussions at the moment about whether we can get some fans back in soon. Um, and the, the hope would be that maybe by the end of this season, round about the time of the Belgian Cup final, um, which is called the Crokey Cup, when that comes around at the end of the season, which will be a little bit over a couple of months now, it's not too far away, that maybe we'll be able to get a reasonable number of fans in into the National Stadium in, in, in Brussels for, for that, and then hopefully start next season around August time with, with in the worst case scenario, a reduced reduced number of fans but but still have still have some there yeah and do you think that the clubs who are potentially facing financial issues at the moment do you think they'll be helped by the recent uh, news from the united states that espn have acquired rights to show matches from the belgian pro league I don't think it'll impact them too much in a financial sense or an ongoing basis i think the pretty negligible to be honest I think um, the main impact of that is, is going to be just raising the profile of Belgian football more generally so obviously that's good for the clubs and it's good for the players there are there are some US players uh, actually playing in Belgium and I think that is one of the factors behind this but the American sports market is a huge one and I think the, the potential to to grow the Pro League as, as, as a product worldwide um, it makes sense for the, the Pro League to, to, to look at American sports broadcasters and, and agree a deal uh, to try and increase interest in, in what is a league that is, is definitely seeing increasing interest. Um, it's a very popular league. It's seen as, um, I suppose you would describe it as, a, as an entry league um, into Europe's top five leagues, which means that players from, for example, South America and Asia uh, and Africa, uh, there's a lot of them playing in Belgium, um, and it's often the case that players from these countries will perhaps get a move to Belgium with a view of hopefully if they do well there, uh, winning a move to to what would be seen as one of the top five big leagues. Um, but the standard of football in Belgium, I mean, I have to emphasise this, obviously, because I watch a lot of it, is, is much higher than I think most people are aware of. Um, and is actually very good. It's an underrated league, very physical in style. Uh, and because of that, it's tended to favour predominantly the more defensive aspects of the game. Um, but it's tactically very strong as well. There's a lot of competition within the league. And because of the, the, the coronavirus situation over the last year, the Belgian league is no different to almost any league in the world. And there's been quite a lot of unpredictability. Um, so sides that you would expect to do well haven't. And sides that you'd expect to maybe do less well have actually done quite well. So... Um, it's been yeah an interesting season so far, that's for sure. Yeah, and with the physical and tactical aspects of Belgian football, do you think that's served them well in progressing further in European competitions than they used to? Because in the last couple of years, uh, Bruges have been regulars in the uh, last 32 of the Europa League. This year, they're joined by Antwerp. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a difficult one because the, the gap in quality uh, often between... The, the kind of elite sides, if you like, in European football and the top sides in other countries from all around Europe is bigger than people think and actually is just getting bigger. 
Um, and that's just because of the way football's kind of corporate structures are arranged at the moment and, and the kind of consolidation of power and money flowing to certain countries uh, rather than perhaps being evenly spread. Bruges have managed to maintain uh, quite a good European profile, which is good for Belgian football. And I think the Belgian coefficient at the moment is, is is reasonably healthy. It is, up until very recently, was just ahead of the Dutch in the coefficients and has just slipped just behind that based on some recent European results. So Belgium are kind of punching above their weight in, in, in that sense. Um, I think the long term, the only way to kind of close that gap is, is some kind of redistribution of of football and wealth and, a, and an increase in, in money from places like uh, new TV deals. Um, so if they can increase the number of things like that and it increases the profile, then it means that the money is filtering down more as well. Belgian clubs haven't had a, a really successful run in Europe for, for some time. In fact, Antwerp, the last club to reach a, a major European final, 1993, Wembley, Antwerp uh, lost to Parma. It was uh, in the Cup Winners Cup final. Yeah, and next season there's going to be a new European competition, the European Conference League. Do you think that because that's less likely to have some of the European elite clubs in it, that Belgian clubs have a good chance of getting through to the latter stages of semi-finals and finals of that? It's difficult to say because I think nobody really knows how that, that that's going to work out yet. I mean, basically we know um, from how, how it's going to work, what we know is that um, it opens up opportunities for clubs who perhaps wouldn't necessarily get the chance to play in European football, not only to play in it, but perhaps to progress a little bit further and not only develop as a club, but um, generate a little bit more income as well, because obviously there, there is there is money to be made in European football from not only being in it regularly, but also from winning games as well. Um, so that there is definitely an opportunity there. Um, and it's very exciting for, for fans of teams who would never normally expect to, to play in European football on, on any season. So I, I think fundamentally in the short term, it's actually quite a good thing. I know some fans don't think that it is. I mean, there is an argument that finishing, for example, third place in a group shouldn't be then rewarded with dropping into another competition, which if you then drop into and lose the tie, you then drop into a third competition. But I think um, anything that, that allows players to continually developing and playing against higher level players is, is, is got to kind of be good for the game, really. Doing a bit of a complete switch now um, and focusing on the women's game in Belgium, are there hopes similar to the men's team that the women are going to start seeing success as they qualified for their first major tournament in 2017 with the Euros and they've recently confirmed qualification for the Euros in 2022 as well. Yeah, there's been a there's been a steady development there, um, which uh, which is a very good thing. I think the, the Belgian FA at the moment have uh, plans to, to build a new training complex and centre for, for Belgian football. Um, and that's been built not far from, from Brussels at the moment. And that would be um, a bit like St George's Park uh, with the England side. That that would be a kind of central complex for uh, the Belgian FA and Belgian football to develop the national side um, and look after kind of key strategic elements of the game. And that covers both the men and the women's game in Belgium. But there has been, yeah, there's been a, an incremental um, improvement 
in women's football in Belgium and a number of the top flight sides have, have their own women's teams as well, uh, like a lot of teams from around Europe now. Um, so it's not just elite teams that that, that have, a, have a women's team as well. I think the... You know the, the the level of interest in women's football gathering is is a very good thing for everybody actually, and I think the fact that it's not been separated from the men's game in terms of its long term strategic development, um, and very much been part of that you know new academy system that's that's been developed, the training centre outside Brussels um, is is going to help that because it means that everything is seen as as one cohesive package rather than a uh, rather than an isolated separate thing. So do you think that the domestic clubs have had a key role in developing Belgian talent at the international level? Or do you think that there is still a case made for these players going abroad and getting experience there? Well, I think there is a, it's a bit of a sore point amongst Belgian football fans, really. They get asked about this a lot. You know, how do you feel about your best players not playing in Belgium? Because what tends to happen is the best young talent probably starts off in Belgium, uh, but will then win a move to one of the, the top five big leagues and spend the majority of their career there. And and that that is one of the reasons why the, the men's team, the national men's team at the moment, is doing as well as it is, because the majority of the squad play in the top five leagues um, for, for big teams in those leagues as well. And that, that undeniably has helped them develop and has helped the national team become what it has there's been a lot of talk recently um, about whether some of these players should maybe, you know, in the twilight of their careers, the last two or three years, whether they should consider for the, for the good of Belgian football more generally, maybe coming back to Belgium and, and playing in the last couple of years of their career. Um, Eden Hazard gave a very interesting interview just over the last month where he made that point himself. He said he would like to see that. He said more players coming back and, um, he got asked whether he would consider doing that himself and he said he was open to doing that so um, we'll see if more players do do that I think Belgian football fans just accept I think that's the way it is and, and money talks really doesn't it and there just isn't as much money in the game in Belgium generally as there is in these top five big leagues um, so persuading players to kind of come back can, can be a difficult sell sometimes it has to fit other things in life perhaps where your family are based and, and, and what you want to do as well. So it's it, it's a difficult one, Matt. Yeah, and just a thing to finish up on, uh, what is your own prediction for how Belgium will do in the Euros? Well, I, I certainly would expect them to get to the latter stages. Do they have a chance of winning it? Um, yes, I think they do, um, because on, on paper at least anyway, they certainly got probably one of the three or four strongest squads. So, you know, anyone going into a tournament with with those tools at their disposal should be uh, doing well. I think as football fans know, the thing with big football and tournaments like, like the Euros and the World Cup is it's very much about a moment in time. So having the players and the personnel is one thing, but it's about harnessing that over the, you know, that four week period and that four, year, four or five year period, that cycle where you're building towards that um, and kind of just all click um, over the course of that four-week period, is that that that's the challenge. But yeah, I would certainly expect them to get to the latter stages, and and um, yeah, I, I hope they can win it because um, that squad of players um, is is certainly good enough to win something. They just need to kind of go and grab it now. All right, thanks very much for your time, Scott. And uh, yeah, that was a great conversation about Belgian football.
Lovely, Ben. It's been great to be here. And if people want to find out more about Belgian football, obviously they can check us out at the Belgian Football Podcast. Yeah, totally. I'd fully recommend anyone do that if uh, this conversation has uh, sparked an interest. Thank you for listening to this episode of Corners of the World. Make sure you follow the Belgian Football Podcast on Twitter for updates on when they release new episodes and daily news. You can also follow Corners of the World on Twitter at CornersOTWorld for new episode alerts and keep an eye out for the launch of the Corners of the World website and blog in the next week or so. To find previous episodes, search for URB Podcasts on your favourite streaming service and you'll be able to find conversations on football in places such as Venezuela, Malaysia and Norway. I hope you will come back next week when there'll be another episode of Corners of the World.